Jesus is the Word, and everything about the Lord Jesus is God speaking through his Son, the express image of the Father, revealing himself. And that's why if we honor the Son, we honor the Father. And if we want to walk with God, we get our eyes on the Lord Jesus, because God has no similitude. He is a spirit, but he has given us his written word, and he has given us his living word, his Son, who is that revelation of God. So, don't cross the line. Idolaters cross the line from no similitude to something visual. And when they bow down to it, when they begin to make that their way of worship, they become idolaters. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, and once again, we bring the message of the gospel to you wherever you may be. And today, our message, we are coming to the Ten Commandments again, and I hope that you will be encouraged in your own heart as we get back to basics, the ABC of how to live as a Christian. The Word of God tells us that God gave Ten Commandments, and they are to be kept. And of course, the first is that we should have no other gods but the Lord himself, and no idols. And today that will be our subject. Now, we're come firstly to Romans uh, chapter 1, and we were talking about the wrath of God and how that is a predominant theme right through the book of Romans. You have it in chapter 1 that uh, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness, and it comes up in every major section of the book. Uh, therefore, the backdrop to preaching the gospel is the whole issue of God's wrath against sin. And if you think of a, a, a great dam that has held, uh, holding back the, the force of the reservoir, the waters, and it is soon to burst. Uh, that's the picture that we have in the book of Romans, of God holding back his wrath until the day and hour of judgment. Now, as we think of this, we ask the question, what does this doctrine of God's wrath, and why does it have to be restated and defended today? Well, of course, it has to be defended because it is the very thing that is denied. And uh, the Bible itself teaches us that there will be in the last days scoffers, who will deny the very gospel and deny the truths of God's word. Many denounce that uh, or renounce the fact that God uh, will never again judge the world. And yet that's the very message that Jesus left us, uh, that as in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man, and that every one of us will stand before God and give account. Therefore, we are to be prepared, prepared for that day. And, and so the gospel comes in, the good news of salvation comes in, because there is a day when we need to be prepared. We need to be saved. We need to have our sins forgiven. And this is the reason why the doctrine of God's wrath needs to be restated and defended. Next question, how will this truth of God's wrath against sinners control the worship and the ministry 
of a Bible-preaching church. Well, first, we don't want sin in the church because we don't want God's wrath. And just as God judged Sodom and Gomorrah, bringing his, pouring his raining wrath down upon those wicked cities, uh, we must uh, be free from sin. And, of course, the whole purpose of preaching the, the cross is that there God punished his son, and he poured out his wrath upon his son that we might have refuge, that we might have a Savior. And all who believe in the Lord Jesus are delivered from the wrath to come and are saved by sovereign grace. Now stay tuned with us as we turn to our message today. May the Lord minister to your heart. Now this second commandment that we're turning to, we find it here in Exodus 20, verses 4, 5, and 6. It's the big one. It's the commandment that uh, God really lays it on, and he wants to lay it out, what we ought to do that we may keep God's name and our worship pure. Let's read verses 4, 5, and 6. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. And so there you have, uh, in God's own words, remember now, written on stone with the finger of God. If ever you want to believe on inspiration, there's no question whatsoever on these actual words written by the finger of God on stone. And those commandments, remember, were placed inside the Ark of the Covenant. They weren't the work of a day. They were preserved in that Ark of the Covenant, the very center focal point of worship. And we are reminded by that that uh, this ought to be top priority in our worship and our expression of the God whom we pray unto and whom we declare as our God. Now, just a word on what others are doing with this second commandment. Well, of course, we know that the ungodly just ignore it, and they don't even think about it. And certainly that it would be wrong for us who call ourselves God's people and Christians, disciples of the Lord Jesus, to ignore the second commandment would be unthinkable. Then we have the Roman Catholic Church and some Lutherans. What they have done with this second commandment is they have eliminated it, and they have divided the tenth commandment into two so that they still have ten, and they just throw it out. Because, of course, it cuts against so much of their practices in religion, having graven images and likenesses and icons and so on. Uh, they do that 
every worship time. They do it in their churches. They do it in their homes. Now, some profess to keep this commandment and would not dare to worship an icon or a man-made image. Uh, they would throw it out. They would have absolutely nothing to do with it. But in their own minds, when they think about God or when they think about the Lord Jesus, they try to put a face, they try to put something visual in their minds and hearts as they would endeavor to dwell upon and think about God. Some have done this in drama productions, and nowadays in movie productions, have various visual uh, objects or ways by which they declare God. Now, the personal question that really applies to us here today is, do we keep this commandment as God intends it? And is our worship free from visible objects of worship and things that really become idols? And then another little question is our witness of the gospel, as we stand here as a church ministering the gospel, and as we seek to spread that word wherever we may, are we leading people away from those false methods and manners of worship into the true manner of worshiping God by faith, the one who is invisible, who has no similitude? And are we leading our families, our friends, and others who would follow us by some example? Are we fulfilling the great requirements of this commandment? Now, what was God's intention in giving this commandment and these Ten Commandments? Well, the answer, really, I want to come back to chapter 19. Let's go to chapter 19 and verse 5. Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. God's intention giving these commandments was that he would have a special people. They would be a covenant people. They make a solemn commitment that they are going to make God their God, and God will become a God to them to perform for them all the benefits, all the blessings of having God as their God. And so this was the arrangement. And in this, they were to be a very privileged people, uh, mentioned there, a peculiar treasure. And so as a Christian, as a believer in the Lord Jesus today, you want to be that apple of his eye. You want to be that favored of the Lord. And you'll notice in verse 6 that it comes down to our worship. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. Now, we know that the Levites were the tribe of Israel designated to full-time priestly work. But we also know that every Israelite was to be a worshiper. And we in the New Testament, we are all priests unto God. You pray. 
You lift up your voice. You call on God. You use His name. That's the privilege of being a Christian. We can use God's name. And we therefore become priests and an holy nation. Now, if we're going to use God's name, we better use it very carefully, very carefully. And all of this comes into the giving of this commandment. And once you get a hold of that, we can see the importance of these ten words, that if ye obey my voice, well, Lord, what did you say? We don't want to have some dubious statement. We don't want to be following some blank page with invisible ink where we, 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 we wonder what God said. And we don't want to get into this modern idea, well, God, what God has said to you, he never said to me. How can you worship corporately on that basis? What God has said is absolutely clear. Ten laws. The summary of a moral law in these ten commands. And so we come to look at this second one here today. What does this mean when God says, for example, in this very uh, command, verse 5, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. What does, what does it mean when God refers to himself as being jealous? Well, we know what jealousy is in a husband. Whenever the love of his wife is being stolen away by some other suitor, and you can understand the inner emotion and the, uh, the rage that would run through him as he thinks of his wife being led away by another to, to give her love to another. That's jealousy. And, of course, the Bible talks about idolatry being spiritual adultery. And in God's heart, there is this fury of jealousy. We understand that kind of jealousy. It's based on love. It's based on a covenant. Just as a husband and wife stand at, perhaps at the front of the church and they pledge their love, their loyalty, their absolute commitment for life to one another, and to have that disturbed, divided, it's treachery. Treachery. And so when God says to Israel, I'm going to make a covenant with you, and I'm going to make you my people, you're going to be my treasure, you belong to me, therefore don't pursue idols and graven images and other things that would take away your love from me. I want you to notice in verse 5 also that God interprets this idolatry as hatred of him. Verse 5, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers unto the children, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. And so you can see that God interprets this not in any neutral fashion, but as outright denial and turning away from himself. Now, is that accurate? Is it accurate that anyone that turns to an idol or some other form of worship, that they really have declared that they hate God? Well, it is hate of God when we see that all other gods are a lie, 
And God is truth. So it's a lie. And it's to hate the truth. It's denying the truth that there is only one Lord God. And when you turn to another, you declare that you are following a lie and do no longer loyal to the truth. It's hate of God when we see that they sin against God's purity. All idolatry is devil worship. We've learned that. And it leads to uncleanness. And when we reject God, we reject purity, and we turn our backs on God. And, of course, we switch loyalty to, to devils. Idol worship is devil worship. And we have learned that. And every man is a servant of something or someone. You think, well, I'm free. I, I just follow myself. No, you don't. You are a servant of sin, Satan, or the Lord of glory. And there is no neutrality. There's no sitting on the fence. There's no way halfway to, halfway from. You are either a lover of God or you hate him. Those who are atheists, who deny that there is a God, they always turn to be anti-theists. They always set themselves to hate and, and set themselves with all their energy to expose and deny that there's no God because there's something driving them. And it's hatred to the true God. Then there's those who call themselves agnostic, and they say, well, we just don't know. But the reality is they don't want to know. Most of them will not read the Bible. They're afraid to. Most of them will not set their hearts to seek the truth. They just take the easy route and call themselves agnostic. And so God says, those who do not worship me hate me. They turn their back on me. And so we see the extent of this jealousy. Deuteronomy 4.24, for the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. That's a great verse to have on hand, by the way. Deuteronomy 4.24. A consuming fire, a jealous God. Those two statements go side by side in Deuteronomy 4.24. What an awful thing to be an idolater and cause that offense to a holy God that his jealousy rages as a consuming fire against us. What a terrible place to be in. If you're not a Christian today, if you're not a follower of the true God, if you have not given your heart to the true God, then there is in God's heart a burning passion, so much for his own glory, that he sees you as hating him and desp despising all that he is and all that he stands for. Now, knowing these things, knowing these things, how then can we worship the true God in a positive, proper, biblical manner that will bring glory to him and blessing to us? That's really our task today. Now, I know I've eaten up so much of my time in this long introduction. I've, I've sought to set out some of the history of this, God wanting his own special people, giving them these ten laws as a summary of his will, and the loyalty and, and the heart of God about it, and the heart that ought to be in you to fulfill it. 
I trust you have that heart. I trust you've given your heart to the Lord. And you will say, well, now let's take the tools that God has given. And that's how I see these 10 laws. God has given us the map, the, the tools to actively, energetically declare, show, and exercise our love to God. Well, we need to remember that God is invisible and can only be known by His self-revelation. God is a God with no similitude. Let's read that in, in Deuteronomy 4 and in verse 12 in, in your Bible, please. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 12. And the Lord spake unto you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the voice of the words, but saw no similitude. Only ye heard a voice. That's our God. That's our God. He is the invisible God. And the only knowledge we have of God is when He reveals Himself. And we have a word-based faith. Now, did you get that? We do not have a visual-based faith because faith wouldn't be faith if it's visual. One day we will see him face to face. But our God is invisible, and he reveals himself to us by his word. Now, I want to read on down this passage, and I know it's going to take a few minutes, and we don't have the time, but we're going to take it. Let's just read on down, and, and verse 13, And he declared unto you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform even ten commandments, and he wrote them upon two tables of stone. Now remember, a word-based faith. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that ye might do them in the land whither ye go over to possess it. Take ye therefore good heed unto yourselves, for ye saw no manner of similitude on the day that the Lord spake unto you in Horeb, out of the midst of the fire, lest ye corrupt yourselves. If you don't remember this principle, and you see an idol, you see an object, you see some worshiping, a, 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 a visual aid, a thing made by man, or whatever it is, something that you can see with your naked eye, and you call that God, that's not me. And if you cross over the line from a God whom you cannot see, who is the invisible without similitude, if you cross over that line, you're an idolater right away. We have a God who reveals himself by his word. And then we go on right down verse 16, lest ye corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image, the similitude of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any beast that is in the earth, the likeness of any winged fowl that flieth in the air, the likeness of anything that creepeth on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the waters beneath the earth, and lest thou lift up thine eyes unto heaven, and when thou seest the sun and the moon and the stars and all the host of heaven, shouldest be driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord thy God hath divided unto all nations, 
under the whole heaven. But the Lord hath taken you and brought you forth out of the iron furnace, even out of Egypt, to be unto him a people of inheritance, as ye are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me for your sakes, and swear that I should not go over Jordan, and that I should not go into that good land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. But I must die in this land. I must go over Jordan, but ye shall go over and possess that good land. Take heed unto yourselves, lest ye forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make you a graven image, or the likeness of anything which the Lord thy God hath forbidden thee. For the Lord thy for the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. Now, I noted something as I read that passage, that we're not allowed even to worship God by a act of creation. The moon, God made the moon. The sun, God made the sun. God made the earth, but we don't worship God even by the things that he made. Therefore, it is even worse to Worship God by means of something we dare to make, so called in his image. And all the while, God has no similitude. Now, you say, but this is all Old Testament stuff. Well, let's go to the New Testament, John 4, 24, to the Lord Jesus speaking to the woman at the well. And there was a whole lot of talk about the true God. And in verse 4, Sorry, chapter 4, verse 24. God, the Lord Jesus said to the woman, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So back now to no similitude, but God reveals himself by his word. It's a word-based faith. And if you tell me you're a believer... I'm going to ask you what, are you, what word are you believing? And I would like to think you could open your Bible and say, well, here's what God said. I believe it. And that's how you become a Christian. You are saved by believing what God has said about himself, his warnings, his promises, and his self-revelation. Now, we know we can go on and say God has revealed himself by his Son, that's why Jesus is called the Word, the Word, the Logos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word, and everything about the Lord Jesus is God speaking through his Son, the express image of the Father, revealing himself. And that's why if we honor the Son, we honor the Father. And if we want to walk with God, we get our eyes on the Lord Jesus. Because God has no similitude. He is a spirit. But he has given us his written word. And he has given us his living word. His son. Who is that revelation of God. So don't cross the line. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. Call me, please, at 604-897-2048.
For all the details of our broadcasts across Canada, go to ltbs.ca. This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale, located at 18790 58th Avenue, Surrey, at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. Our website is cloverdalefpc.ca, and there you can find gospel articles links to our sermons, a gospel booklet called A New Beginning, and a link to watch our services online. You're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10.30am and 6pm to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of His precious Word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer every Wednesday evening at 7.30pm. Our Sunday School for Children and Adult Bible Class meet every Lord's Day at 9.30am from September to June. You can contact us at 604-567-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdalefpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please visit our website at cloverdalefpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel and that will bring you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. This is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today. And be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our one-hour church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of his word. Music